Well, good morning. My name's Jodie. I'm one of the leaders here at EFCC. You're very welcome if you're joining us for the first time, and you're very welcome if you come here every week. So it's wonderful to see everybody. Here at EFCC, we've been going through a series in the run-up to Christmas about the life of Jesus. And some of the things that we've looked at so far is how Jesus' life was centered around the Word, the Word of God that they had at the time, which was um, the first few books of the Old Testament. And he was led by the Spirit. And being centered around the Word and being led by the Spirit led him to lead a life that searched out lost people. And so those are some of the topics that we have covered so far, and today we're going to be looking at how Jesus led a compassionate life. So Father, just as we come to listen to your word this morning, we pray that you would um, speak to us, that by your Spirit you would bring these words to life for us, that you would touch us and that we would hear what you would have, what you want to say to each one of us. God, that what you've got for us this morning. Father, I pray that you use me and you help me not to get in the way of what your spirit has got for us. Amen. So as I said, we're going to look at how Jesus led a compassionate life. And just to get us started, I want you um, to turn to the person next to you. If you think about Jesus being compassionate, if you know Jesus or you know any stories about Jesus, what stories come to mind when you think about Jesus being compassionate? So just turn to the person next to you, see if you can come up with an idea. Right, okay. Hopefully you had some few ideas. Does anyone want to shout out? A story of Jesus that makes you think that he was compassionate. So, shh. Any stories of Jesus that make you think he's compassionate? Um, the, lady at the, well. the lady at the well, the Samaritan lady at the well. Mm-hmm. Wonderful, yeah. We'll just say the title. Uh, Margaret? Yep, the lady that Jesus healed with the issue of blood. That might appear a bit later in the talk, so uh, <laughs> any others? The woman caught in adultery. Any other ideas do people have? Healing the lepers. Mm-hmm. Nita? Yep. So Jesus' compassion on the people as they were lost sheep without a shepherd. Well, as you can see, there's lots of examples, and there's many, many more that we haven't touched on. Maybe you mentioned some different ones in your groups, but we're going to touch on a few of those this morning, um, just to look at, at what Jesus' life was like and how we can learn from that. But before we dive into looking at Jesus, I want to go back and look at the character of God. And so Jesus is the visible representation of the invisible God. He and the Father are one, so if we sincerely see compassion in Jesus' life, then it must be a characteristic of God. Unfortunately, we don't have to assume this because God himself in the Old Testament declares that he is a compassionate God. And we're just going to go into that passage, which is in Exodus 33, and we're going to read some of the encounter where God um, uses this word about himself. So this encounter is between a man named Moses and God. Now Moses, you may know, had been 
in the wilderness when he encountered a burning bush and he encountered God. And then it's a wonderful story of how God helps Moses lead the people of Israel out of captivity, out of Egypt, into the promised land. Moses is also the man that got given the Ten Commandments um, from God to help guide and lead um, the people in the way they should live now that they were free from this slavery in Egypt. We're going to pick up this story in Exodus 33. And starting in verse 12, I'm just going to, yeah, Exodus 33, verse 12, it says, Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. And the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. We're going to stop there and come back to that. Um, but this encounter, there's Moses. He's encountered God. He knows, he's getting to know God. But God knows Moses intimately. But Moses is still learning who this God is that is calling him and who's leading him. And in this passage, a bit later, Moses summarizes it and says, Now, God, show me your glory. Reveal to me who you are. Teach me your ways. It says, and then God replies to him and says, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. And so God gives Moses um, this promise that he's going to reveal himself to him and Moses goes and he follows God's instructions and he hides in the cleft of a rock and, and then we have this encounter in um, Exodus 34 verse 5. The scriptures will be coming up on the um, screen so if you don't have a Bible you can look at the screens either this side or this side. Um, so it's Exodus 34 and we're going to read... Um, from verse 5. It says, Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of their fathers for the third and fourth generation. Now, this is an amazing encounter for so many reasons. So when Moses asks God, I want to know you, this is how God replies and describes himself. These are the characteristics that God chooses to emphasize to Moses. And there's so much in this passage that we could go into about the character of God, but that's maybe a series for another time. But today, I just want to focus on the fact that God chose compassionate as the first word to describe himself. Now, this was in stark contrast to the gods that other people worshipped at that time. Many of the gods there were unpredictable, they were um, prone to anger, they needed appeasing. This is how people understood them. They, could, um, they weren't predictable, anything could happen and you didn't quite know how your god was going to react and it would often be with anger and you would have to sacrifice or you would have to do something to appease them. Um, 
To help illustrate this, if you think of the story of Jonah when they're in the boat and the raging storm comes, the other sailors say, you know, we need to throw someone in, we need to draw lots, we need to appease the gods to calm the storm, we need to do something. And then we know the story of what happens with Jonah getting thrown into the sea. And so God was describing himself in such a different way to how other gods were understood. So it's very intentional and would have been a surprise to Moses that God had said his name, I'm the Lord, the Lord, I'm compassionate and the gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love. Now this word compassionate comes from the Hebrew word racham, pronounced something like that, I assume, <laughs> um, and which is related to the word rachem, which means womb, which is this deep innermost being, an emotional response that comes from within. It's linked to the word empathy, to understand someone else's suffering and to walk with them, a sense of being with other people when you feel compassion. It's not a distant sense of pity for someone, but a deep connection and empathy for another. And the word's actually used 99 times throughout the Bible. Um, only 20 times is it used about us having compassion for each other. But the other times, the 80%, as they hit the 79 times, is used for God's compassion to his people. And so it's obviously a word that... Um, God wants to use to describe himself, but it's a word that the people of the Old Testament and the New Testament experienced of their God, and then they used it as they described him. And the most common way it's used about God is his compassion when people cry out for help. So in Nehemiah, which is a book in the Old Testament, in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 27 to 28, this is how it's used to describe God. But when they cry to you in the time of their distress, you heard from heaven, and according to your great compassion, you gave them deliverers who delivered them from the hand of their oppressors. When they cried to you again, you heard from heaven, and many times you rescued them according to your compassion. And so you heard from heaven, and according to your compassion, you gave them deliverers. And according to your compassion, you heard from heaven and you rescued them many times from the hand of the enemy. So this is an amazing characteristic of God. It shows a dependency that we can cry out to him. And because of his compassion to us, um, towards us, he will respond. And continuing in the theme of the womb, there's a wonderful passage in Isaiah which helps unpack this a little bit more. And it's from Isaiah 49. And when Israel are accusing God and saying, why have you forgotten us? Why have you abandoned us? This is how they're feeling at the time. And God responds in this way, using this word compassion again. So in Isaiah 49, 15 to 16, it says, Can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget but I will not forget you. Behold, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands and your walls are continually before me. 
So it's comparing God to this nurturing mother and the the strangeness that we would find of the unnatural response that a mother would abandon the child of her womb. It's saying, look, God is even more, if that's what a mother would do, this God will do that even more. I cannot forget you. I have not abandoned you. I have not forsaken you. My compassion is for you. And in Psalm 103, verse 13 to 14, it uses the characteristics of a father and compassion. And it says, just as a father has compassion on his child, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. And so just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. And so again, this image of God as this nurturing, loving father who has compassion on us. And this word compassion isn't just a feeling. This Hebrew word, rachem, is a deep emotion that drives you to action, not an, an empty feeling. And if we, if we think more, more modern day, emotional researchers these days um, conf- define compassion as the feeling that arises when you are confronted with another's suffering and feel motivated to relieve that suffering. So the feeling that arises, the feeling that arises when you're confronted with another's suffering and feel motivated to relieve that suffering. And if we think this is the word that God chose to describe himself, the feeling that arises when you're confronted by another suffering and you feel motivated to relieve that suffering. That's the God that we serve. The feeling motivated God to action. And we see this throughout the scriptures um, about the action that comes from this deep compassion towards us. I'm just going to pull out a couple of examples. In Psalm 51, verse 1, the psalmist is crying out to God and he says, Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. So here David is calling on God. He's aware of his own sin, aware of his own state, and he's just asking God to say, to come because of his compassion to blot out his transgressions. He's calling on the character of God and saying, I know you're a compassionate God. Please forgive me. And in Isaiah 55, verse 7, it says, Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and he, God, will have compassion on him and our God will abundantly pardon. And so in the psalm, David was a man after God's heart. He was seeking forgiveness. However, in this Isaiah passage, it's talking about wicked people who are far from God. But regardless, the response of God is the same. God's compassion leads him to respond and leads him to forgiveness and to pour out his love abundantly 
upon us. So I hope that these passages have helped us to start to see that God is this deeply emotional um, God driven by compassion towards us as people. But maybe like me, you don't often think of God as emotional because as humans, our emotions are so changeable. They can go up, they can go down, depending on all sorts of things um, in our circumstances, in our, in our minds, in our bodies, in our hormones. Our emotions are sometimes very unpredictable. But God is the unchanging, consistent God, yet he is compassionate. So God's nature is to respond to anyone who turns to him with compassion, regardless of who they are or what they've done or what we, who we are or what we've done. It's in his character. He is deeply moved by compassion, yet consistent in his love for us. Now, you might be thinking, I thought this was a series about Jesus. <laughs> How come we're uh, still looking at the Old Testament and focusing on the character of God? But I hope that as we've just started to unpack some of those scriptures, you've started to see that this is in the very nature who our God is. It's so easy for us to look at the God of the Old Testament and consider the laws and um, the sacrifices and all of the stories that the Old Testament portrays and then look at Jesus in the New Testament and think it's two completely different people, two completely different gods and that Jesus is the compassionate one, Jesus is the loving one and then we're not quite sure how to handle what we see in the Old Testament. But what I'm trying to do is just draw out and say, no, this compassion that we see in Jesus is because it's at the very heart and the very nature of who our God is. And Jesus was representing that to us in a human form. So we're going to look at a few examples from the life of Jesus. Some were mentioned um, by you um, at the very beginning. And the one that I do want to start with is the one that Margaret and Anne mentioned about the, the lady with the issue of blood. So this is in Mark 5, Mark chapter 5, and we're going to read from verse 21. So Mark chapter 5, verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she may be healed and live. And so Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him, and he turned around in the crowd and asked, 
Who touched my clothes? You see, the, you see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembled with fear, told him the whole truth, and he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. This is one of my favorite stories um, of Jesus encountering um, just humanity and, and someone in such need and such pain. And maybe I like this story because as a child, I suffered from migraines for 10 to 12 years, um, went to different doctors, went all sorts of different medication, daily medication, all sorts of things, and nothing helped at one time, I even was on a medication that was um, affecting me and my hands were getting so cold and I had to wear gloves in the classroom at school. And it was only when I went back to see a different consultant, they said, um, the, the, the dosage is, is off and um, it's slowing your heart down, it's slowing your blood pressure down, you should never be on this. Like, quick, get you off, change it onto something else. Um, so I get a little insight into what it means to have seen lots of different doctors and no one really knows how to deal with you. Um, maybe it's because Chris and I went through infertility challenges for about a decade and again going from doctor to doctor and each time getting a different diagnosis and there's something else that's wrong with your body and something else won't work and we're not very hopeful about you having children. Um, and so maybe I relate to this woman and the way that she would have been ostracized from the community because of because of her bleeding and what that would have meant for her and the shame she would have felt. And so I, when I read this, I just put myself in that situation. And if you've been suffering with something for 12 years and you're, you're desperate, that is, that's a deep sense of sorrow. And you've heard about this man called Jesus and you think, he can do something for me. He has something that I need, and if I can just touch his cloak, everything will be okay. And so she does, and they're in a crowd, and the crowd's pressing in, and Jesus says, who touched me? And the disciples are going, everyone touching you. <laughs> like, it's like a tube train, you know, in, in the rush hour. You can't tell who touched you. There's people everywhere. And Jesus is going, no, this is different. Someone deliberately touched me because they needed something, and he knew this woman and he knew her suffering and he saw her and confronted with her suffering, he responds with compassion and he says, your daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be free from your suffering. Our time is going, so we won't dive into too many more examples, but the, some of you mentioned the woman caught in adultery and in this encounter the Pharisees, want to catch Jesus out, and they drag this woman who's been caught in adultery, and they present her to Jesus and say, look, what should we do with her? And Jesus, just going to read Jesus' response. It's in John 8, um, and the whole passage is verse 2 to 11, but Jesus' response in verse 7 is, if any one of you is without sin, 
Let him be the first to throw the stone at her. And when they all go away because they realize none of them is faultless, Jesus looks at the woman and in verse 10 he says, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go and leave your life of sin. Now in this encounter, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are using this woman to trap Jesus. They want to know, is he going to contradict the law? What's he going to say? They're not looking at the woman's suffering. They're not looking at the situation she's in. They're just using her. But Jesus sees her as an individual. He sees her suffering. He sees where she is. And he knows exactly what she needs. And he forgives her and sends her away and releases her to start a fresh life. And then the final example I want to pick up on is um, the one from Nita as she gave me a heads up when she was reading through my talk, but it's from Mark 6. And here, Jesus and his disciples have been ministering. They've been out, they're exhausted, and Jesus wants to take them away for a retreat, just just his disciples and him, a quiet time. So Mark 6, verse 32, it says, we'll just read a little bit before then. Um, the apostles, apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. So in this, in this encounter, Jesus sees the lost people, and he wants time aside with his disciples. They haven't eaten. They've been so busy. They're, he wants rest, but his compassion for a lost people leads him to teach and to guide and to bring direction and probably revelation to them of who he is and who they are and what they really need. So throughout the life of Jesus, Jesus encounters suffering people, and he responds with compassion. That suffering may be sickness, it may be sin, bad choices, it may be that they're lost, they're directionless, or even that they're hungry. And there's others that we haven't looked at this morning, that people were possessed by demons, people were lonely, rejected, they were oppressed, they were living in the consequence of other people's sin. So the suffering might look different, but Jesus' response was compassion. And this fits his mandate. You may know the story where Jesus goes into the temple and he picks up the scroll of Isaiah and it's captured in um, Luke 4. And when he reads the scroll, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
And ultimately, he saw the suffering of humanity and was motivated to die on the cross for us. That was the ultimate act of compassion for a suffering people. So how do we live lives of compassion? Rich, a number of years ago, um, when we were teaching um, through a passage in Matthew, taught us about the phrase having a good eye. And this has stuck with me, and I'll just unpack it a little bit before we end. But what does it mean to have a good eye? There was an idiom in the Hebrew time um, in the New Testament, and to have a good eye was that you could see people, you could see their needs, you could respond with compassion and generosity. And if you had a bad eye, you were selfish, self-centered, and didn't care about those around you. And this is something that stuck with me, and we've talked a lot about it in our home group over the years. How can we make sure that as we follow Jesus, we're not self-centered, we're not selfish, but that we have good eyes, that like Jesus, when we meet people, we see them, we see what they need, we see their suffering, whether it's spoken or unspoken, and we can respond. And we've talked about different things um, about why maybe aren't we as compassionate? Why don't we respond? And I think part of it is we don't look. We don't really see. So we're unaware of where people are at and what their need is. And so we deny ourselves the opportunity to be compassionate. Or maybe it's that we see, but we are too selfish or too busy or too caught up. Or we don't know how to respond. Or we're concerned we might offend somebody. Um, Is it that we're not seeing or we're not responding? Is it a mixture of both? And I think that's a challenge for us, that as we pursue this life to follow Jesus, we see that when Jesus met people, he had time for them, he knew them, he looked at them and thought, what do you need? What do I need to give you right now? And so how can we follow that example of Jesus? Recently, I was talking to a colleague of mine who lives and works in Beirut, a Lebanese guy, and he was sharing a little bit about the Syrian refugee crisis and uh, refugees fleeing Syria because of the horrific war going into Lebanon, and Lebanon is a country that hosts many, many um, refugees. And the churches there are responding, and the churches are opening up their homes as families to, to let refugees come in. And as he was telling me, I, I was challenged. I was thinking, that's, um, that's, that's amazing that, that you're doing that. Um, wouldn't we you know, hope that we would all do that if we were faced with, with this overwhelming need on our doorstep? But what I didn't realize, because I'm, I don't know the history of, that, um, of, of Lebanon, but I didn't know that Syria had occupied Lebanon for over 20 years recently, and they were the Lebanese people lived quite an oppressed life underneath the Syrian regime. And so if you put yourself in in their shoes, you've lived under this oppression, you're finally free, your country is free from from Syria ruling you, you're your own country, you've got this newfound freedom, and then horrific war breaks out in Syria, and you find people who had once ruled you and oppressed you now arriving with nothing and needing your compassion. And I just thought, wow, that adds an even greater 
emphasis on the compassion that we need. And that takes me back to those passages from Isaiah and Psalms where whoever it is, whether you're far from God, whether you're a follower of Jesus, if you cry out to God, he will respond impartially with compassion to you. And that's how we need to live. But that example of that God does that for us should overwhelm us and yeah, bring us to our knees and just say, God, you are amazing. So often our thoughts and our feelings and our emotions override that. But God looks on us and goes, I'm going to blot all of that out. You're my child. I love you. You're crying out to me. I'm going to respond. So just as we finish um, this part of our time together this morning, I want to remind us that compassion is an integral part of God, of who he is and how he behaves, how he acts towards us. That compassion drives him and motivates him. It motivated him to send Jesus, that we're celebrating this time of year, but that we should celebrate every day of our lives that because of his great compassion for us, Jesus, it says in Philippians 2, Jesus didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he humbled himself and he came to earth and took the form as a servant and he sacrificed himself for us and he died on the cross for us. That's because of God's compassion for us. And so this morning, whether it's that you're hearing about this God of compassion for the first time, whether it's that you're hearing about God in this way for the hundredth time, let's be those who cry out to God and know that he will respond with compassion towards us. And let's be those, if we're following Jesus, that have compassion as our driving force, that innermost uh, deep desire that when we see someone suffering and we're confronted with someone suffering, that we respond with compassion. Father, I just thank you that you are a gracious and compassionate God, that you are slow to anger and you are abounding in love and kindness towards us. Thank you that it's your nature to be compassionate. Thank you that you can't go against your nature. Thank you that your compassion for us drove you to send Jesus to be born as a baby, as a human, and to live a faultless life to die for us on the cross. Thank you that we have example after example of the compassion that Jesus had towards people with all sorts of suffering, whether they knew it or not, and whether those around them knew it or not. Thank you that you see into our hearts and that motivates you to compassion towards us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.